How are we doing today? Good. Good to see everybody here. Uh, y'all getting ready for Christmas? We actually got to go to Tennessee this last week and spend a few days with our kids and grandkids, and we left Sunday afternoon and came back Thursday, so that was good. We got to go up and see the grandkids. Not that there's ever enough time with your grandchildren, but it was kind of nice uh, to go up there, and it made it a little bit special for me anyways, because we were actually in a small private airplane, and I got to sit in the co-pilot seat all the way to Tennessee and all the way back, and it was fun because Meredith's dad was actually the pilot, so he was telling me all the stuff about different waypoints, and I got to have the headset on and listen to all the chatter between the different airlines and the pilots and uh, all the different centers that they were talking to, and it was just a lot of fun uh, paying attention to all of that kind of stuff, and, and uh, I always wanted to be a pilot. You know, when I was a kid, uh, Bishop Airport in Flint, Michigan, they had this little spot where you could pull off the side of the road and watch airplanes come right over the top of you and land. I remember doing that as a kid and loved it. But, oddly enough, the aeronautics industry is a great intro for today, oddly enough. Um, Today, the title of the sermon is called Missing the Point. And how many of you know anything about the history of flight? We've got, you know, Orville and Wilbur Wright, They went out and they flew a plane, and December 17th, 1903 was the day that is marked as the first day that they really had a significant flight. They had gone out on the 13th, and they damaged the plane, took them three days to fix it. So on December 17th, 1903, they took off. The first time they took off, they were airborne for 12 seconds, and they went 120 feet. They had two more attempts didn't really work well. Then on the third attempt, Wilbur was flying the plane. They were airborne for 59 seconds and went 852 feet. So this was like, this is groundbreaking. This is changing the world uh, for airplanes, right? This is, this is like history before the airplanes, history after the airplane when it came in. And it's interesting because in front of five witnesses, they did this, and the modern age of aviation was born. So in their excitement, they called the AP, and then they sent a telegram to their house. And it told their family, hey, we've done it. We flew for 59 seconds. We went 852 feet. It was December 17th. They said, we'll be home for Christmas. And so Kathleen, Orville and Wilbur's sister, went to the Dayton newspaper and said, hey, we got a telegram from my brothers. And the guy read it, and he went, okay, that's nice. She went, I'm willing to give you guys an interview with them if you want to interview them. And he went, you know what, we'll, we'll print something. Well, the AP sold the story, sold the story to 12 uh, papers and only three printed that they had flown for the first time. The Dayton newspaper, the Dayton Star, December 19th, the headline read, Wright Brothers will be home for Christmas. They just missed the point, Right? They completely missed the point. They missed the significance of the event. And I look at Christmas and I wonder how many of us are missing the point. You know, we got the trees. The trees look good. I guess we got the gifts back there. They're all wrapped. And, you know, we've had decorations and we've got singing. We went, we went out singing in the canal the other day, caroling. I've never done that before. That was a fun experience. Um, you know, we got shopping days till Christmas. But are we really missing the point of Christmas when we focus on all this stuff? We're in week three, as I said, of a series called Stories of Christmas. And in week one, we looked at Joseph 
And we looked at how Joseph offered forgiveness to Mary, even when he didn't know all of the situation. All he knew was that the woman he was betrothed to was pregnant, and he offered forgiveness. And then he pressed into his faith in a time of confusion, and most importantly, he displayed integrity in everything that he did. And then in week two, we talked about Mary and how obedient Mary was through this. It doesn't record that Mary was ever given a choice. It just said, you will conceive. But Mary's response was, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And we talked about how we need to now say daily as we face different things, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And so as I thought through, okay, stories of Christmas, I said, I wish this was a longer series. I said, all right, you know what? We could look at John the Baptist. And we could learn some lessons from John the Baptist. The lessons we could learn is that, you know, he was changed by Jesus and that he was, uh, he was humble and that he stayed committed to what he was called to do. I mean, John is the fulfillment of prophecy in Isaiah chapter 60. He is the forerunner to Christ. He came and he announced that Christ was coming. Uh, he was the first one to respond to Christ as an unborn child. Think about this. Mary is pregnant with Jesus, and she goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth, who is pregnant with John. And when Mary came into Elizabeth's presence, the baby in Elizabeth's womb leapt. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. We could have talked about the dignity of life. And, and uh, I mean, he completed his calling by announcing Christ. He was humble through his entire ministry. He baptized Christ and said, I'm not even worthy to tie the, the shoes of this guy. He preached repentance. John was really the first guy who died in ministry in the new age of Christianity when he was killed. And then I thought we could have looked at the wise men. You know the wise men in Matthew chapter 2? The wise men are good. We could have gotten some good lessons from the wise men. Like, give God your best. Whatever you have, make sure you give God the first fruits of what you have. That we should take time to worship. That we should trust God and not men. You know, these guys were the fulfillment of prophecy also in Isaiah chapter 60. They were scientists. They were astrologers. Uh, and both science and astrology pointed to the birth of Christ, how they were not Jews. They were Gentiles. They came from the east. So Gentiles were being invited into the celebration of the birth of Christ. They brought gifts. And the significance of those gifts, they brought gold, which is meant for a king because Jesus is king. They brought frankincense, which all the way through the book of Leviticus several times, it says that you should sprinkle frankincense on the offerings that you worship God with, so he was worthy of worship. And myrrh, which is used in, in embalming people when they die, signifying that Christ was coming to do that. And then we could have looked at the shepherds. The shepherds are my favorite of all these guys. In Luke chapter 2, it talks about the shepherds. And we could have learned that, you know, Christ is the priority. They left their sheep. That when we're called, we take action, or that we are supposed to tell others about Christ, because they were the first evangelists that went out and told people about Christ. Now, I don't know what you guys know about the, the shepherds, but this is why I think they're so cool. The shepherds are actually, you know, I've always thought these are the lowest of the low in that society, and they were stinky, and they were out in the fields all the time. But because they were outside of Bethlehem, there is an area outside of Bethlehem, and the Hebrew word is called Migdal Eder, and it's translated the Tower of the Flock. This is where they raised the sheep and the cattle that were used in the sacrificial system. And so these shepherds weren't just regular shepherds. These guys 
were Levitical shepherds. They had an official position within the church. And the location of the tower of the flock in Micah chapter 4, it says, to the, flower, to the tower of the flock, to you shall it come, talking about the Messiah. And there's a lot of discussion that maybe at Migdal Eder, in the tower of the flock, in the lower level of that, is actually where Christ was born. Which is really cool because these guys, as Levitical shepherds, they actually had the responsibility to deliver the lambs that were going to be used in sacrifice. And they had a stone that they had carved out and they laid hay in it and they called it a manger. And they would lay the, the brand new baby sheep in there and they would inspect the sheep because a sacrificial lamb cannot have a blemish, it cannot have a blot, nothing. It has to be perfect. And so they would look at the sheep and they would approve the sheep as being used as a sacrificial lamb. And when it was approved, they would wrap it in swaddling clothes or in strips of cloth and then send it back to its mother so that its skin wouldn't get torn on any of the brush or anything until it was older and it was, it was uh, able to go out and not have damage to its skin because if it did, it was no longer. So the guys who were the shepherds who were... They were the ones who approved the sacrificial lamb were the ones who actually went and saw Jesus. And then they went and they told everybody what they had heard. I love the shepherds now. I think it's like so cool. But if we had looked at all of those guys, I'm going to be honest, we'd be missing the point, right? What is Christmas all about? What is Christmas all about? See, these guys are the warm-up bands. Back in 2011, Meredith and I went to see U2 in Chicago. Okay, I went to see U2 in Chicago. Meredith went to go shopping. Uh, she was down on Michigan Avenue while I was at Soldier Field watching U2. But there were three warm-up bands, and I could not tell you the names of any of those warm-up bands. I had not heard of them beforehand. I don't remember them after the concert. I remember U2. I went to see Bono sing and, and Sting and all those guys. That was why I went. You know, all those other guys, those are the warm-up bands. Today we get to the main event. Today we get to the main event, which is Christ. Christ our Lord, right? Last week or two weeks ago, we saw that he is called Emmanuel, God with us. You see, Jesus was also the fulfillment of prophecy. You've heard about odds, right? Chances of things happening. You've heard of those kind of things. So, for instance, what is the chance you would have twins? It's one in 250. Out of every 250 births, only one will be twins. The chances of getting struck by lightning, one in 15,300. The chance of me voluntarily watching a Hallmark movie is one in 19,710, because that's how many days I've been alive. Um, so what is the chance that Christ was the Messiah? Well, well, there are hundreds of prophecies that Christ fulfilled. Jesus is a mathematical impossibility. InterVarsity did a study. Uh, InterVarsity at Park City, excuse me, Pasadena City College in Pasadena, California. They did a class on Christian evidence. They had 600 students while they had this class. And they looked at eight very specific prophecies and they did the mathematical chances of one person fulfilling all these prophecies. So it says that he would be born in Bethlehem in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. And then he would have a forerunner, John the Baptist. He's, he's called out in Malachi 3.1. Said that he would enter Jerusalem riding on a donkey in Zechariah 9.9. That he would be betrayed by a friend which led to his death in Zechariah 13.6. 
that he would be betrayed by thir- for 30 pieces of silver, and then that silver would be used to buy a potter's field in Zechariah 11, 12, well, chapter 11, verses 12 and 13, that an innocent man facing death would give no defense of himself in Isaiah 53, 7. And this is, this is my favorite prophecy of all, that he would be crucified on the cross. I know that kind of sounds morbid, but it says that his hands and his feet would be pierced in Psalms twenty two sixteen which is like 3,500 years before the Romans ever even invented hanging people on a cross. So the chance that Jesus could do all of those things, one person, one in 10 to the 17th power, which is one in one with 17 zeros behind it. That's the chance that one person could fulfill all of those things that we know Jesus fulfilled. And to put that into perspective... Imagine you took a silver dollar and you marked on that silver dollar to signify that's the silver dollar you wanted somebody to find. And you laid silver dollars all the way across the entire state of Texas. And then you sent a blind man into Texas and told him to go anywhere in the state of Texas he wanted to go, but he could only pick one silver dollar. And he would have to pick the right silver dollar. That sounds pretty amazing, doesn't it? It gets worse. The silver dollars would have to be stacked two feet deep. If you had one to the 17th power, two feet deep of silver dollars with only one that a blind man could choose, that's the chance that Jesus could have fulfilled those eight prophecies, and there were hundreds that he actually fulfilled. Jesus is a mathematical impossibility. He is the Christ. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And if we don't focus on him, we are missing the point. Isaiah 9, 6 tells us that for all, To us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. You see, it says the child was born, but the son was given. The son already existed. The son existed before the child was born. Think about that. Jesus exists uncreated. He was already here. The child was born, but the son was given. The virgin conceived. She carried him for nine months. She delivered a son but the son existed before the virgin ever got pregnant. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Today we're going to be in Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15, and it says that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Now, every word of that whole section is extremely important. You see, he is Emmanuel, God with us. He is the image of the invisible God, the being, the attributes, the divine nature of God are fully represented in Christ. He is the firstborn of all creation. This doesn't mean that he was created because he exists uncreated. This means that he has preeminence, that he is of first importance, that everything is under his authority. He is over all of it. The next verses, they explain what this means. It says, by him, all things were created. How many things? All things. What wasn't created by him? Nothing. Everything was created by Christ. On heaven, in heaven, and on earth. So every being in heaven, 
every single thing on earth from the smallest molecule to the entire universe. Jesus created all of it. Everything visible and invisible, seen and unseen. You know, they say there are now nine planets because Pluto, of course, has been lowered to a dwarf planet. But we've got Mercury and Venus and Earth and Mars and Jupiter and Saturn and Uranus and Neptune. Pluto, I'll throw them in there so we have ten planets. They actually say now that there is a tenth planet. It is 500 times farther than the sun than the earth, and it's never been seen. But Jesus created that too. Every throne and dominion and ruler and authority, that's again still the seen and the unseen things because there are thorns, thorns, thrones and rulers in the spiritual realm. Every president, every king, everyone has been created and is under the authority of God and Christ. All things are created through him and for him. There's repetition here, and it's done on purpose. He's making a point that nothing is beyond the reach of Christ. It was created, everything, for him and for his glory. He is before all things. In him, all things hold together. He's the glue that keeps all this together. Without Christ, everything would fall apart. He is the head of the body, the church, and we are the church. The church is not a building. The church is not a place that we go. We are the church. The church is made up as us, as his people. We are the body of Christ, and he is the head of the church. He is the beginning. He created everything. He is the firstborn from the dead, which again means that he is preeminent. He's not the first guy that was raised from the dead. We saw miracles in the New Testament where Jesus raised people from the dead, but he's the only one that never tasted death again. In everything, he might be preeminent. He is the first. He is the greatest. He is the head over everything. Everything was created for his worship. Beginning in verse 19, it says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. For in him all things, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. We talked about that earlier, just a minute ago. All the dignity, all the power, all the authority of God is indwelt in Christ. And through him, everything is reconciled to himself. Whether on heaven and earth, everything is reconciled through Christ. And how is that done? By him making peace by the blood of his cross. He is the prince of peace. We can have peace with God through Christ and the work that he did on the cross. Y'all, Christmas is not about trees. It's not about the decorations. It's not about the gifts. It's not about shopping days. It's, it's not about uh, singing songs. And as much as I enjoy going to see my kids and my grandkids, Christmas isn't about family. It's all about Jesus. He is Emmanuel, God with us. As C.S. Lewis put it, the Son of God became a man so that men could become sons of God. Think about that. The Son of God became a man so that men could become sons of God. Y'all, he is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the Alpha. He is the Omega. He is the beginning. He is the end. He is the Prince of Peace. He caused the blind to see. He caused the lame to walk. This is Jesus the Messiah, God with us. And we can have peace 
with God through his blood and what he did for us on the cross. The Son of God became a man so that men could become sons of God. That's Jesus. That's what it's all about. The whole reason we're here is Jesus. You know, we do communion around here every single week. Every week we do communion. But, you know, there are two times a year when communion just seems really special to me. One is Christmas, and the other is Easter. Christmas is the time when Christ came to begin all of this, right? And then he lived a perfect life, and then at Easter, 33 years later, he died on the cross for us. If we can get the host to go ahead and start passing out the communion trays. If you are a believer, you are open to take communion here. We, we offer it to anybody who believes that Jesus Christ is the Lord of their lives. And we do the double cup method. The bottom one has the bread. The top one has the juice. I think it's really significant this time of year that we really think about Christ coming for us. Christ coming and dying for us. Living the life that we couldn't live. And paying the penalty that we couldn't pay. So that we could have peace with Christ. Lord Jesus, thank you for today. Lord, thank you for becoming the perfect sacrifice for us. Thank you for doing what we couldn't do. Lord, thank you for this time of year when we celebrate your birth. When you became Emmanuel, God with us. Lord, you gave up your throne in glory to come down and serve us. Lord, I pray that we would live lives in response to that. Lord, that we would make you the Lord of our life. Lord, help us not to forget why we are here. Help us not to forget the reason for the season, which is you. That without you, Christmas wouldn't be celebrated. It's not about all the other things. It's all about you. Lord, be with us this week. Help us not to forget that. As we run like crazy and we try everything that we can do to stay sane during this time of year. Help us to focus on you and to live lives in response to what you have done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to Restoration Christian Church's podcast. If you need to talk with us about your faith, email info at restorationcape.com. If you want to learn more about restoration or support this ministry, go to www.restorationcape.com. Thanks again, and we look forward to having you join us next week.